Hello and welcome to episode two, series one of the River Road podcast, where we talk all things creativity, music, education and learning. Um, again, today I've got the genius marketeer, uh, Adam St. John. Um, we're recording live uh, from the Mint Marketing Creative Hub. Uh, so again, you might hear some craziness in the background and that's just uh, the Mint people really doing their thing. Um, really important place out here where they're constantly making things, creating things and exploring And making ideas. noise, which is more yeah. worrying. So today, we, we kind of touched on something in the, long, in the last podcast, which was around uh, making music and kind of different, uh, and learning how to make music in different uh, environments. And the garage is something that kind of came up in our last talk, and that's what we're going to focus on today. The garage as being the first learning environment for musicians. Um, I myself um, still reminisce and absolutely love the days of being in a typical garage out the outskirts of, of Sydney, Australia, uh, making music with three other guys who really didn't know either how to really make music. We just were just making a lot of noise. And over time, we turned that noise into music. And it always makes me think about those early days. You know, there's some great stuff that David Byrne has released in, in regards to how music works. And he references some great historical moments in time where compositions and music actually evolved due to the environment they were, they were in, from um, indigenous musics having a particular sound and how music resonated in the natural landscape, to Mozart and how his music was shaped by the halls that he Mozart was wasn't a garage musician. He was, it was a big garage, just big, big hall cathedral type. That's not a garage. <laughs> but it was a garage. You know, I see he parked his car there every weekend. Um, and even David Byrne, when he spoke about his punk days with Talking Heads and how the venues and the places, and that's when, you know, obviously the garage and the Sex Pistols and those guys were starting to make music in very small concrete jungle type of places. That, you know, resonance wasn't really a thing. It was loud amps. It was a lot of noise. But essentially... Can we just go back to Mozart for a minute? And, and I apologise, listeners. But when he said, when you say uh, Mozart was a, a garage artist, are you saying because he was in an environment without other musicians in an area... Was he rehearsing? Did he compose in that area? Mozart has never been referred to as a garage musician. Well, garages, again, we're we're coming from the garage as being an environment, a place in which music is made. Uh, And and we're going to talk a little bit about the collaboration side of things. But let's just look at Mozart as, as yes, there was probably people around, there was probably people listening to his music and giving him feedback. The musicians themselves, don't forget, Mozart wasn't using Pro Tools and <laughs> penciling in notes and then mm, hitting playing. Mm. oh, that sounds good. So it's he, a space. It was very much a space. How it resonated and his music, the timing of notes, the ways in which, you know, if he hit uh, uh, a snare drum, for example, in the orchestral pit, um, he had to allow for that snare to resonate through the space. Mm. You know, there was a lot of things, th- things to think about. But it most definitely influence the music making and in their garage and back to you know my um you know where i really cut my teeth on writing music it was in a space where you could look at people and you know adam i know you've you've kind of got some stuff where you had a band and things like that but nothing's more exciting when you're writing music and this is not coming from a romantic place but you look at your fellow guitarists and you see them in the face and you can tell whether they're getting into it or not and you're trying to make up this riff and they're getting into it or the drummer's rocking, you kind of know you're onto something good. Mm. But if they're looking flat, if they're kind of looking a bit dead, 
the composition and the songwriting process starts to die. So it, we're gonna yeah we're talking about that garage space, but do you want to maybe tell us a little bit about your background and well, the music making? We we were a garage band and we were awful, but um, the um, that was my first taste of music, and then it was 1991. I wanted. To be in a band i had no musical talent obviously so i decided to be a drummer which most people do when they have no musical talent so and uh, we did the name first and the brand that was the first thing before we even picked up an instrument and we were called we were called srk which is um spunk rhythm chaos <laughs> okay uh, very 90s and um i learned a basic basic drums but i had a really good guitarist a good bassist and a really good singer. I was the weakest link, but we did it in my mum's garage. So it was a space and we recorded it on, on tape and we gave the tapes to our friends. And it's a bit like the hip hop scene <clears throat> back in the late eighties, which essentially was the mixtape, record in the garage, distribute the mixtapes, hopefully get it on radio, different era, different time. But as Pat said about that collaborative stuff, there was inspiration. I looked at it and went, look, wow, this guy can really play guitar. My mate Stuart, still my best friend to this day, he could play. All he did is solos, constantly, constantly playing solos. But the garage was the space that, you know, um, there was no way, we, there was no Pro Tools, there was no laptops. Yeah. It was a collaborative space that we could we, we could sit there and create. But that collaboration, like sure, surely even with the guitarist, you know, you were giving, it's not tips, but giving feedback when he's playing, he was probably giving feedback on your Most playing. of the or, feedback or... was Adam, you were shit drummer. <laughs> yes, but, <laughs> but, but he says feedback. But yes, it's there was feed. There was it was deconstructive. There was definitely there was definitely there was definitely feedback. Yeah. And and I look I look back at it very fondly as probably one of the most creative. And I've made two thousand videos, a hundred podcasts. I've done lots of stuff. I've created short movies. But if I if I look back, um, that's probably one of the most creative. Is that times in in, in my life well, that's, because that's, we were a team yeah. in the garage. That's that that's that real time feedback, which which you know we're going to kind of obviously dance around the educational learning side. It's a real problem in a lot of courses that you can't really get that feedback or your results or how well have you done until the twelfth week or the final exam, and you go, oh, so I was kind of mm. not really playing in time the whole twelve weeks. In this environment. You, you, your colleagues, your friends, your fellow musicians I, I think will immediately tell you that, hey, you're out of time, maybe yeah. speed up a little bit, maybe a little more on the kick. I completely agree with that. And I think in, um, in a lot of institutions and um, modern-day music institutions, um, they have a concert prac or something like that. And normally you're judged by the teacher and the audience rather than your peers. So, And that's why we're talking about that garage environment because you're, you're, you're being assessed essentially by your fellow musicians, which is, which is better. Yeah. Performance is an, it, it is a different thing. Performance, you are being judged by the, you know, you're being judged by the audience. Yeah. They're going to go, that was crap. That was out of key. That was, that was, that wasn't entertaining. Yeah. The front man didn't move. The, the drummer was out of time, etc. That big difference with performance, though, is that once at a performance, once you're at the gear, typically, um, 
that the song has been written. And that was something that I really struggled with is that I kind of hated performing because by the time you got to, st to the stage and you're performing your songs, the, co the composition process is kind of done. Mm. You've kind mm. of done all that. That garage environment is, yes, there's an element where songwriting turns into rehearsal mm. in preparation for performances. That's what you want to do or performance in the studio even. But that, that songwriting process, that's, that's that kind of key thing in that garage where it is a really comfortable... And why, why, obviously, a garage, like, what do you think? Like, not every house has a garage these days. Mm. You can't really, if you're in an apartment building, you probably can't. Well, hasn't it morphed up. into kind of a home studio now? Is, is yeah, it, sure, yeah. That's, is that, that's yeah. That, I mean, you know, I did some research on, um, before the podcast, looking at kind of the bands that came out of that kind of garage environment. Um, but then I kind of... There's garage music, which you know, which is a genre. It's nothing to do with garages, but it's kind of and the, the grime scene in England. Um, there's garage punk. It's a genre. It's not actually a space anymore. It's just kind of a. It's a sound. It's a. It's a thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When now people are creating uh, uh, music from from essentially, and I think a space which isn't a traditional studio. So I'd like to define anything that isn't a traditional studio. So if you're on your own with your laptop in your room, you're a garage artist as far yeah. as I'm concerned because that's the equivalent in 2020. In 1992, it was a garage. Yeah, yeah. In 1999, it was a garage. Yeah. Now, most people haven't got garages or there's a car in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so um, it has evolved. It was really interesting kind of like um, looking, looking into that... Um, and researching around um, garage artists, I mean, like Teen Spirit was wrote, was wrote um, uh, written, sorry, in in a garage. I mean, it was it was a three piece band in a garage, and they wrote Teen Spirit in a garage. Yet, yes, it did go to a studio, but that's when they finished their product. They finished their product in the garage, yeah. and then it got mixed and mastered by a professional um, um, uh, producer from Geffen. Yeah, yeah, and that yeah. was that, you know. Yeah. But 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 the the essence and the soul of that song, which is one of the most famous songs of the twentieth century, was made in a garage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, and like obviously, a, a number of bands that have kind of worked in that space. So just something that kind of um, uh, got my ears to kind of stick up was that British space. There's a lot of stuff that came out of the British, the new wave of British heavy metal and those sort of yeah. sounds. The Who, the Who were garage? The, the, the cultures that were coming out of that mm. area mm. was very much that garage driven. Let's just get together, let's go, and whoever whoever garage it was, it could have been a living room, but it was, I think what you're touching on is it was a culture, it was a, it was a feeling. And you're right, they would finish the product, they would write the product, and then they go to the studio, and depending on the studio and the mm. label, mm. how fancy that studio would look like, you do have to look at like I always think of, you know, Metallica is a pretty good benchmark for bands that came from that garage, went into the pro studios. But if you look at where they are now, they've set their studio up to go back to look like a garage with, you know, car yeah. posters and, you know, yeah. things that the place does not look anything like a typical Sony Universal studio that you'd find, um, you know, that, that kind of looks really swanky and whatnot. I mean, I was watching recently... Um carpool karaoke and I detest um, James Corden I don't know why I think I look a little bit like him and, and he likes cakes same as me um, but um, 
he did the Paul McCartney, and they recorded um, She Loves Me in, in, in Paul McCartney's um, house, and he did the acoustics in the, in the toilet. Yeah. And in Northern England, the toilet, you know, in Australia, it's the outside dunny, but in England, there's a very, very normally, we didn't have out, well, we did have outside dunnies up north, but they were lucky enough to have a, have a toilet that was inside the house. And they did the, they did the lyrics, they did the lyrics um, and the vocals in there with a mic on tape. And then it went to the studio. Of course, they recorded it professionally in the studio, but um, they recorded everything on eight track in the house and then went in the studio to refine. Yep. So I guess they still had that collaboration um, situation of refining the song. And that's kind of where we're going, really, with kind of this discussion is, is you know, we're not just kind of sitting here saying, talking about garage bands and, you know, kind of, the, yeah. the, the, the benefits of collaboration and this, that, the other is, it, it's how, wherever you want to refine your piece of music, it doesn't, it can start from, it can start anywhere. Yeah. Before you go to that next stage. Yeah. And, that, and, and now we've got tech. You can do it at home. Yeah. With your laptop. Huda Gurus actually did something where, uh, they wrote a song for a film. The film's actually escaped my mind and I can't actually find it. Um, but they had, had did the demo. They went in the garage of the actual uh, singer's uh, place and they recorded the song. Um, and it got approved to be then be recorded for this film. Um, they went, they went, spent the money, $10,000 on recording this song for the film. They submitted it to the film and the, immediately the director said, I preferred the demo. Like this, this happens time and time again, where the environment that you put yourself in, in which to explore your music, to explore your sounds, explore who you are as a creative artist, is so precious to what it is that you actually produce. That when you try and replicate, you know, those feelings and those ideas, um, you know, that that's where it really starts to, you know, either struggle where it doesn't work if they try and take their mm. garage mm. song into a recording studio. And then it sounds too polished, or it doesn't sound, you know, like it did when the microphone was in a dodgy brick next to a dodgy brick wall in front of an old mm. amp. Mm. Uh, as soon as you put it in front of a five thousand dollar amp in a gorgeous soundproof room, all of a sudden something's just been sucked out of it. There, 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 there was um, a similar story with Teen Spirit um, with, with Kurt Cobain. He 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 really didn't like it when they went to the studio and they put backing vocals on it. And they did reverb on his voice. It's like I much preferred the original. Yeah. Yes, he went to number one in 27 countries. Yes, it was huge. But he had no concern about commercial success. He really cared about that sound and what they were doing. Um, I had a similar experience with um, Mr. Jeremy Sawkins, who, who, who's a great jazz guitarist that I've worked with in the past. And we did a big setup in a studio with several mics. And uh, you can find it on YouTube. It's um, Jeremy Sorkin's top 10 jazz licks. And he's a, he really is a good guitarist. The guy is, you know, he's up there. I think he's in the top 30 guitarists in the Southern Hemisphere. There's some, he got some award anyway. He's a fantastic, well-respected guitarist. And um, we did his top 10 jazz licks and I recorded it in the studio. And uh, we had an engineer um, at the time, I forgot his name, it was Jay's. And then, um, 
um, he recorded it, and then, and then we edited it, we did the video, and he kept calling me going, there's something wrong with it. And then we ended up just using the mic um, from, the, from the camera. <laughs> he said it's raw, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's what it sounds like. Yeah. It sounds way too polished. Yeah. I, I don't like it, it's yeah. too slick, I much prefer it the way it sounded which is raw, and that's how jazz should sound. Yeah, and, and I, think, I think we're coming back to this, this underlying kind of theme in, in how we make music, how we learn about ourselves in the music and in that environment, because how many bands have we gone to see that clearly wrote their music in a garage? And again, we think about probably the rock band, so Foo Fighters, uh, definitely the Metallicas, um, even Iron Maidens, and then you go to watch them live, and in a big mm. arena, and let's just say a football field arena, and it just everything's been sucked out of it. Mm. It's it's just not written for this environment, and hence the, the punk. The punk sound is most definitely that really closed walled concrete walls, the Annandales, those mm. sort of mm -hmm. venues mm -hmm. that are a lot tighter that can not resonate what is supposed to be kind of very hard strumming music echoing for a, for a delay of maybe three seconds in some cases. Well, the Sex Pistols, the Kinks, all those guys were all garage, garage bands, and, uh, you know, in inverted commas, they were, and they were probably some of the best live acts of the 70s and 80s. And they were all recorded in the garage, on analogue, and they sounded like you listened to them when you heard the album. Yeah. I watched Queen on Saturday, I'm going to be completely honest, it was awful. Yeah. It, it just it wasn't it wasn't experience. The the guys come genius musicians. It was it was kind of kind of soulless. Like because, my friend was outside the space. In, the space, the acoustics, it yeah. the, the it just it just wasn't very good. And I think what the the punk bands like um I mean Nirvana I'm not gonna call punk because they're grunge, but they, they are traditionally it's a punk sound. And I think um, if you refine too much in the studio, if you've got that sort of raw sound, um, you can you you know you can you can fall short. Yeah. Um, depending on your sound, I mean, you know, if you've got a lovely studio and you're a singer songwriter, I'm presuming I'm I'm ignorant. I'm not a musician. Yeah. I was just a former drummer for SRK. Yeah. Um, but let's 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 consider even electronic music. Because we've spoken a lot about that is refined, isn't it? Isn't well, that just purely refined? Well, this this is where there's a, there is a, I guess, more fortunate shift. Like yes, as as we established earlier, the garage, and while that you know I'm sure this still happens, you know people will um, retrofit their garage to be an electronic music studio. But let's just say that there's they're in their house somewhere making electronic music. There is much greater investment gone into dance clubs or nightclubs and, and places where electronic music is more commonly heard and, and absorbed. They have put the effort into making sure electronic music works in this space. And there's some fantastic spaces, especially in the European markets, especially Germany, where they have clubs that are so perfectly tuned, you can get the specifications and write your music to even their oh, wow. speaker arrangement. And mm. Luke, Luke Ryan's someone who has a lot of experience in that space. But here, here is definitely a, a genre of music which is not about we just write some music and then mm. all the best, making it sound wherever you're going to perform it. There is, there is some great understanding of, okay, this is the music I want to write. I'm in an environment at home. Um, and we've seen some, you know, you can see some fantastic shots online 
of people that have built their home studio making electronic music, mm. um, that transference from that environment to either a live environment or even if it's playback is much more uh, acceptable and much more kind of warming to what it is they do. So they're not kind of worried about what they create at home. Um, so what advice would you give? I mean, let's say I bought SR SRK back and we were a punk band and we did a fantastic cover, Suck My Kiss by um, the Red Hot Chili Peppers. That was probably our marquee song um for any sort of kind of inspiring artist do you have to think when you're recording a song how are you going to play it live because i've been to several concerts and gone mm. i i think it's important that was a bit that was yeah. a bit crap like it, it's yeah. it just sounds better like you know I, I think it's important. Tape. I think I think you have to consider your your delivery, and and you know even Daniel Johns uh, from Silverchair or you know him or just um, uh, writes under his own name. Um, he he has gone on the record to say that he has no intention in performing live. He just wants to write and record and produce music and produce it in many different ways. Um, you know, there are artists that are just writing music and that it's for a particular cinematic release, you know, live, like they're performing live to, to cinema. Um, so the advice is, yes, I think you do need to consider what your delivery is going to be, like when you're writing music. And if you're a solo folk sort of singer-songwriter with an acoustic guitar or electric piano, yeah, your songwriting is going to be done in a way that's going to either you're picturing doing a fairly intimate recording or you're picturing a smaller club. That's not to say that you can't take a solo piano, you know, Adele, Elton John, they've all proven you can take yeah. a very small instrument, amount of instruments and make it work in a big, big arena. I mean, I watched Adele yeah, and that was pretty yeah. spectacular. Yeah. We don't move much. Whatever it is. But one piano and a good voice. Yeah. Could be translated from yeah. a room to a two and a hundred thousand yeah. uh, people I think, arena. I think, I think I think when we when we think about the environment in which they write music, mm -hmm. is as a group or even the band leader, if there's someone who's a little more in tune with this, uh, with these ideas, is to be considering being the one who's considering. Okay, so are, are we going to perform the, this live? Yes, we are. Okay, so these are probably some of the things. Now, the things that I believe is you should never let anything stop your creativity. Mm. So if you're kind of going, okay, I want to play this guitar note as fast as I possibly can, and someone says, oh, you better not do that because it might, you know, just be wash in, in, a, in a club. Mm -mm. It's like, well, find a club that works for your music. Don't just, you know, it's these considerations. And even if you end up at a club and you walk in, you go, oh, man, this, this space is really roomy, like it's echoey. Go speak to the, the sound guy. Like, mm. find ways in which to work with the sound guy because he might be able to tell you whether the room has a, a reverb time of half a second or a second. Yeah. You, you can say, okay, guys, let's just drop this back a few beats per minute. You know, these are compositional things mm. that, that we should be considering. How do you learn that? Well, through your road. Like, <laughs> you, you, th th this is stuff which the garage is important in which to experiment and explore, but this is where collaboration is, is that where you learn it. Mm -hmm. okay. Now, collaboration does not mean, uh, well, it can mean anything really, but it can mean a teacher. We, we should be, as we spoke about last, last uh, in the last podcast, um, learning is not necessarily a hierarchical thing. 
where teacher student and I'm the teacher so you must do what I say or do, do what I tell you to do. Mm. Um, teaching can be a collaborative environment and your teacher could be your fellow musicians in the band or your teacher could be, you know, you bring someone in, into the rehearsal environment or you do a course where it is focusing on your music. That's, I think, under, uh, absolutely important. If you are in a band and you want to learn how to write music better to take it live on stage, doing a generic course on songwriting or performance mm. is not going to give you that. And we, we know that from experience. It's going to show you a default process to how to construct music, produce music, and get it live to a stage. But when you're talking about your specific music, your specific um, uh, sound, and most importantly, learning how to make your music without restrictions or someone telling you, well, you shouldn't do that, you know, mm. you know, every, every, every res- resolution should be a 5-1, like all that rubbish. Who, who cares? If, you're, if your music and your sound is doing this, learning it is, is to develop it further is that collaborative environment, be that a teacher or be that a fellow, you know. But, but, but let's say, you know, I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate because I'm... Uh, I don't really kind of know this process very well. And you create, you've got a, you, you've got a band, you're rehearsing in your home studio or in a garage and you, you've created sound and you've had that um, the, the collab experience and the mentors and you've created a piece and then you go to a studio and then you get a producer and the producer goes and then just kind of puts, over mixes it, over masters it and it doesn't, Sound as good live. I mean, what do you, do? You, can you step in? I mean, what, what do you do? Do you yeah. say no? Well, if you just got if you just got signed or something, do you go no and be that kind of like no? It's integrity. Well, that's uh, no, yeah. no, no. I mean, that all seems to be the kind of case that people are not happy with the final mix. You know, this mix and mastering scenario, yeah. which I'm very new to, but I've just heard about when I because I. I've got a lot of musician friends that go, no, they butchered it in the studio. As an artist, what what do you do to keep your integrity of your sound from from that environment and you go into the studio? Well, firstly, I think I think there's a whole podcast and breaking that all down because it is it is a super important area for the songwriter and the music maker or composer. Because yes, you have composition, you have production and you have engineering, and, and they're kind of all mixed in the one thing these days. It used mm-hmm. to be a very um, sequential, a very kind of step-by-step process, uh, and mastering is kind of right at the end there. Uh, but to give you, give you some idea, and I will answer that question, but to give you some context, um, it was actually the other way around. Like, I, I, uh, being head of composition, I'd work with a lot of composers, but I would also, also work with a lot of the engineering students, audio engineering students, and every opportunity I had where I had both uh, st- type of students in the room, I'd always try and get this point across in some way to say, okay, when you're dealing with a mix and you're both in the studio and here's this composer song and here's the engineer and the engineer's trying to do their best job, and it, but it keeps sounding muddy, it just keeps sounding rubbish and the songwriter's getting upset because it's, they're destroying their song, like mm. you said, and the engineer is getting frustrated because they don't know what to do. Mm. It, it's 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 giving actually siding with the engineer for a moment and actually saying okay so what's really causing this muddiness you've EQ'd the depth out of it that's clearly not compression working. is a word I hear compression don't even go near compression if it's not <laughs> sounding good um, we never look at the composer we never say hey how you've orchestrated this song just doesn't work 
the, on a commercial thing though, is it kind of is it you know? And, and well, this I'm, is in, what a I'm, I'm in marketing, right? So I create yeah. I create things for people. Sometimes they they're not making what they think for their brand isn't necessarily what I think this are going to get leads, yeah. right? So I have to say, yeah. okay, like a producer, go what you've made isn't going to reach out to people. So is well, it, that's, it, well, that's A&R. So this is this. Well, that, well that's what I'm saying. So, yeah. so, so essentially that producer's going, that sounds great, lovely, you did it in your garage, but if you want commercial success, I'm going to change it. Kind of. The, to, 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 to point out the technical parts, if your composer's writing your song, producer is recording. Now, your producer will be that person in the room who says, hey, if you take that, that piano part up an octave, it's going to leave more room for the bass guitar and some drums. Okay, that's mm -hmm. what a producer is supposed to do. They'll take the song, they won't change, you know, ideally, they won't change the chords, they won't change the lyrics, but they will say, oh, maybe here, can you go up a step? So rather than going, ba da da da, go ba da da da, because it allows for yeah, yeah. this, and it always should be functional. I believe that if, if you're going to change something, there has to be a reason for it. You're not going to just mm -hmm. go, mm -hmm. a producer shouldn't really just go okay. change a note. But that's about orchestrating, and that's where the mix, so you've got to consider, back to our friend Mozart, he didn't have that old garage dude. <laughs> he didn't from have 1806. an engineer. He didn't have an engineer. All he had was notation and an understanding that if I play this note on a flute at uh, piano or you know, something like that, I can have the French horn at like a bit louder, and it's going to balance and sound exactly the same because frequency-wise, the flute's going to cut through more in our, to our ears, where the French horn is naturally more held back. It's also got to do with how, how they blow it. But this is, this is him mixing through the composition. And this is what we've, we've failed to do with a lot of engineering courses, is we haven't taught them orchestration, just general orchestration. Not to be orchestrators, not to love classical music, but understand there is a natural balance to music when we compose music. We've also, you know, need to work with it, and I work strongly with our composers. So I don't care if you never want to touch notation or, or ever work with an orchestra, but understanding timbre, understanding that octaves and, and certain hmm. registers of instruments should be, uh, you know, balanced in a way to give you that, that, that essence of breathing. Now, that's what a producer, a producer will go in and fix that. He'll go say, okay, go up an octave, let's sustain that chord a little bit longer, let's slow it down a bit, let's speed it up a bit. Your engineer is just trying to track it all and make it So was Mozart the original... Which we'll rename the um, podcast Mozart, the uh, original garage artist, but um, the original punk garage artist. But but his his ob his objective. It, it, that's the key point here. It is it, do producers and our you know, A and R men their their objective is commercial success, okay, so and artists yeah. are creating their own music. Yeah. Well, this, this is where, and again, this is where I like to use roles or functions of roles rather than these being people. Because we could be talking about one person. Let's just throw out a few names. Uh, again, you know, Madonna, uh, Pink, you know. Uh, they, they, these are people who not only can they write songs. Pink is probably a really great Mad example. Madonna doesn't write anything. Yeah, I know. Anyway. So else, she's off. Uh, <laughs> Let's but, get rid of her. Uh, Dave Grohl, Foo Fighters, he gets it. He, he talks about it a lot. These guys are, n are not dumb. They know because they can write a song. Um, 
they can produce it. So they, they, they've got their engineering skills, they've got their production skills, they understand, again, all that motorcycle. But they want commercial success. And they understand A&R. So that was that other thing I was talking about. So your producer would just make it sound better, orchestration-wise, songwriting-wise. Your songwriter's still over here. Again, could be the one person. Your engineer will record it, and I'm talking also in a live environment, mix it live to make it sound better. Mm. But they're just trying to compensate for maybe some of the issues in, in the song originally anyway. Mm. But then your A&R is going to be that guy or girl who comes into the studio. At the back, sitting at the back in the at corner. At the back. Now, hopefully... It's not going to make number 10, Pat. Well, SRK is never going to do it, Adam. <laughs> that, that's, that's the person you kind of want a lot earlier. Now, this is the, on the artist thing. The artist will continually say, I'm not going to sell out, I'm not a sell out, I'm just about making music. Again, the people who are successful at Integrity. this. Integrity. Yep. Dave Grohl and Pink will make you feel like, you know, they're not selling out. But they know exactly what the market is. They know who their audience is. They know mm. what type of music they continually write to get sales. Now, there is an A&R person also supporting them and saying, okay, well, when this song did, did the best, can we have another five of those types of songs? But for the average guy and, you know, probably 80% of our audience... Yeah. are just writing songs for themselves and their aspirations, maybe just created some music and performing it to people. Yeah. So so how would you kind of advise them to, to go about that Again, without that kind of objective of, I want to be famous, because it, 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 it's you know, commercially thing, yeah. successful. It, it seems to be two different... No, it's not, because it, because it's still that same answer of, you know, what is that you're trying to achieve? What is your outcome? Now, if, and remember we spoke about last week, you know, the A and the B. Everybody has a different A point and everybody has a different B point in learning something. Yeah. You know, the A point meanings, you know, person A, or, you know, uh, you'll come in with a whole heap of theoretical understanding, production skills. You're coming in, a, in a way, a little bit more equipped with knowledge and skills compared to someone who says, I want to learn how to write a song, but I've got no theory, no production skills. So their A point is in a different spot, not higher, not lower. The B point is the interesting thing because either one of them could say, well, I want to be a successful uh, performing artist. Okay, that's that's a B point that requires all of these things to be plugged into their learning. For for the first person I referenced, it could be a greater focus on the A&R side. It might be other things because they've got some of the other these skills. For the other person, if that's where they want to go, they might focus on these things because they can always have someone to come in and help them with that A&R, mm. but still kind of going, what do you want to do? Because the example you gave is a fantastic example, and I think is the majority of our students um, and, and a lot of other, other uh, institutes are people that just want to better themselves. They want to learn how to make music. Just create. Just create. Now, if they develop the skills, and yes, they go on and say, hey, I could probably make... But we all want to be famous. Everyone wants to be famous. No, I disagree with it. We don't all. They, they, there is a persona that if you're going to go be a musician or you say, you know, hey, mum and dad, I want to go be a musician, that's what goes to their head. It's, oh, they want to be famous. Like I, again, I, I, as soon as I realised that I could just write music for film, meaning I could just sit in, sit in a seat and watch my music on a, on in the cinema, I stopped performing. I, I literally stopped performing. Mm. I thought... Oh, it's a sad is, loss. Yeah, it was. It wasn't really. Uh, because I, I just loved making music. I loved collaborating and collaborating with... I found collaboration in film as being with directors, with film editors. Mm. You know, and as I said before, I hated the point that we then had to get on stage and perform the songs we had written. I was like, oh, 
I just want to keep writing songs in the garage because I love this process. I love the process of, Mm-mm. you know, resonating with the guitarist and the drummer and having arguments and creative arguments. I mean, but does that but come it, with age as well and maturity? Because most young musicians, uh, it's not necessarily. I mean, when I worked at a music institute, a lot of the young young guys, um, eighteen to twenty five, the objective was. I want to be, yeah. I, I, I want to be commercially successful. I want money. Yeah. But that's, that's I want provided women and men, whoever they were. Yeah. Um, and and I want to um, I want to drink. I want parties. I want to, you know. I, I, I want all I want all that business. I want, I want yeah. all that stuff. You know, all the stuff that goes with it, and a bit of fame. Um, and and it wasn't always about what they were. And and the ones that actually did okay, and we touched that on um, episode one. The ones that did okay were the less talented, but they had the most help. That, yeah, the one, the one who worked out the formula that you can't do it all yourself, mm. you know, and we see single artists, but we know for one, you know, we know that they haven't done all themselves. You know, they've, they've definitely driven the vision, they've driven the direction, uh, but they haven't done themselves. But even that, you know, that, that famous thing, that comes with each, you know, institute and provider. Yes, we, we've both worked at AIM and we both know that a, the majority, at least in some of those performance uh, degrees, were focusing on... Uh, stardom and being a you know a, a, a successful performing artist of some sort in the composition department we had you know a lot less of, of those aspirations aspirations towards being a successful producer making money exactly but not being, paying the rent not being famous no paying the rent yeah. buying food and I always yeah. say in the cinema this is our goal okay if you do more than that fantastic mm. but our goal for you guys, be working musicians. Musicians. Yeah. Now we know with River Road that we have an even different, you know, you know, we have other students coming in that just want to make music. Mm. They're not changing their careers. So, so th- th- there's there's various kind of forms of, of of student that that take shape depending on where they go and where they want to learn. And again, some will choose to not go anywhere to learn. They'll just continue uh, making music. At home, you know, getting feedback from their peers, mm. collaborating in different, mm. you know, different ways. Yeah. Uh, but it still comes to that out, that B part. Like, what is it that that you're aiming for? Uh, and that will shift. And you're right. There is a, there is a maturity, um, and sometimes you just need to, you know, it to come up in front of your face, like film did for me, to say, hey, you know, you can just do this. You can still write music. Can you write a song for kind of famous? Uh Show on Channel Ten, the project. I I, 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 that's that's that was my pinnacle. It was all. <laughs> that, Pat Pat did the theme song for um, the project, which yeah. is still. Also did the theme song for this podcast. He did as well. <laughs> so, um, but that's it. The, but, you, but you created something, but you yeah. didn't get commercial su- success. No one goes it, on about it. No, no. It, but well, you it, sit down there every day, going, "Hello, I did that." Inter- and that gives you some satisfaction in- as an artist. Internally, you know, there's, and there was a lot of things that built up to that. Like I was doing other TV programs mm. and did other pro- TV programs after that. So it's a very much an internal, you know, success. It's like, um, you know, uh, who, who the best financial advisor is in Sydney. Like we really don't 
You don't know. Well, it's I don't. David Ertel. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very familiar but, with him. But He's pe- a bit pe- of an arsehole. It's like any career. Like you, you build up a career. It's just that you make a point in music where you say, okay, yeah. do I want to be a famous person or do I just want to make music? And, mm, and mm. That's, that's what's really important to me. Very important to River Road. I know it's important, important to Adam. Um, is, is really knowing what that is. But most importantly, it was just one thing I was just uh, saying then, is having an environment for you to gravitate. If you're in an environment, a learning environment, where it's restricted and it's like, well, this is, you've chosen this pathway of being a, a performing artist, sorry, this is, this is it, or you've, you've gone into composition and you're focused on songwriting, like I always said, have a look around. You might start in trimester one, trimester two being a songwriter, but then all of a sudden you could be over here mm. being an audio engineer or doing film or something like that. Mm. In, in what we're kind of you know talking about in the garage environment, it was always about that. No, it was fearless. It was, there was mm. no rules. You, know, you might get a bang on the thing to say shut up or turn the volume down, but apart from that, you, you were completely free. And, and I think that's what we're missing in creative arts education. Mm. Mm. Yes, there's some there's ways in which to explore yourself and say, hey, look what I've created, but it, there's still assessment guidelines. There's still things that yeah. kind of say, that, you know, that 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 traditional type of learning is, you know, we're slowly, um, we're slowly moving away from, which is fantastic. I mean, I used to want to be a director, and um, you know, you I was still, like eight or nine. Right. Well, I can't do it now. I'm too old. <laughs> You but, can still do it. But um, I remember um, going to a performing arts, uh, I did a small performing arts um, course, and they said, to be a director, you have to be a little bit good at everything. And I said, well, Dad tells me I'm, a, I'm an all-rounder, which basically means I'm a little bit shit at everything. <laughs> but, but, when he, but when he told me that, I kind of understood it, and I thought, okay. And then I ended up in video, and I could operate a camera. I could do a bit of editing. I could do some lighting. I could understand a musical score. I could do some casting. And then I started, started to get it. Like, and and it, it, I think it's a similar thing, uh, being a musician. You have to learn all those little bits. Yeah. Whether you want to be commercially successful or not, you know, if you're a drummer, you need a relationship with the, you know, the guy that is playing bass. You need to be on time with the vocalist. You need to know your, your, your sound. You need to have a good relationship with the engineer. You need to talk to a producer. You know, you don't just sit there and just play. You need to go, no, I don't like the sound. And you need to know a little bit of everything. Yeah, yeah. So traditional traditional tertiary courses, if you're, if you're going for one, one objective, which is I'm going to be an audio engineer for three years, and I'm just going to be really good at that, it's it's... It doesn't work mm. Be- yeah. because you know music, like any other art form, um, is, 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 is there's multiple things you can learn, yeah. And you could diverse, and that's what is good about River Road. And we're not just sitting here, yeah. We just rant. We're not just sitting here plugging River Road, but it, it's be t- to be able to kind of learn what you need for for that point, mm. and, and just go boom. Okay, I've done that now, and I might do this now. I mean, performance is another thing, you know, like you said, you're not a performer. You can sing, you can write, you can produce, you can, you can mix, you can master. You know, but the objective is for you, you're a musician. 
Yeah. You're, you're a working musician, yeah. an educator. And, and, and you know, again, what, what, what you want to do with those skills is important because, you know, I, I like to do mountain bike riding. I'm not going to be an Olympic if they don't, I'm not sure if they do it at the Olympics. Don't mention <laughs> Lance Armstrong. No. He's not, he's not really mountain biking anyway. The, no, it's not. But the point <laughs> is, 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 is there's, there's an element of music making that doesn't necessarily need to always be focusing on being a star. Yeah. The, the industry is is constantly in a, in a, in a process of change. Um, there are artists coming through that are just balancing and ticking every single box perfectly. Billie Eilish being one of those. You mm. know, she, she's put very, you know, there's not 10 years of, of drive behind her. Um, she's worked very hard, um, don't get me wrong, um, but she's just come in at the right time. And like every artist, that young artist that does come through, they just they just come through at that right point. Dare I say again, not, not, not a huge fan, but um, uh, uh, I forgot his name, YouTube star. Um, Logan Paul? No, from, from ages ago. Um, Justin Bieber? Justin Bieber, thank you. Yeah. Um, but he could play four instruments. So the, guy's, the guy could write a song. Absolutely. But he, I mean, he, I hate YouTube, him. YouTube was kind of, you know, that, that was definitely taking more shape, especially around the music. You know, you had um, yeah. even, um, uh, the news. God, Rebecca but, Black, Friday. Yep, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, Lord, New Zealand's Lord, you know, you got oh, artists. fantastic. You got artists that just were breaking through through this YouTube mm. side of things um, that was working. Um, so, yeah, it's it, it's it's interesting to see, you know, what their dreams were. You know, whether mm. they were just throwing it out there. You, you'd assume that they wanted to be a performing artist. They wanted to be famous or mm. something like that. Mm. Um, but learning, I just want to bring it back to learning. This context of learning mm. is that when you learn, you, you focus your A and B point needs to be focusing on learning. Your B can't be I want to be famous. Your B can be, I want to be a great performer. I want to understand how to take my music from, mm-hmm. you know, song to uh, uh, acoustic performance, to the studio. I want to understand production and how to orchestrate, how to arrange, how to work with MIDI, for example. Mm. That That's learning. So it's you defining can, your, defining your objectives. Absolutely. Your, le- your learning goals. Yeah. And, and again, the, the, all the courses that are available now, they are set. You can't argue with them. You know, so if you go do a course at any of the institutes, creative arts institutes, they'll say, well, these are your learning outcomes for this course. And you go, but I, I want to learn something different. You go, well, no, you, sorry, you can't do that. Yeah. Again, we, we, we focus now, and I think it's so important that the thinking needs to be, what is your A, what is your B point? Because if, if your A is here, mm. that means we can, we can start the learning outcomes a little bit differently than this person over here whose A is going to be different. If your B is this, then absolutely, we we will define and, and personalise those learning outcomes to ensure that that B is achieved through a learning outcome, uh, not famous. Because what does famous mean? Does that mean? Well, it's financial and being on telly. Is I it think. financial? Uh, well, it's just, you know, just. I think it's being on telly. Okay. I think, I think, <laughs> yeah. If I were to define it, I know. In my experience, it's being on telly. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of. Um, I don't know. I think people just scream and point at you and go, "You're brilliant." I think that's your objective of being famous. I presume. Okay. I've never want, wanted to be famous. That's a good. We we'll have to look that up. 
We have to check that out. That could yeah. be for um, episode three. What is famous? What do they want? Yeah. But I think it, um, as an artist, I've never met an artist, um, you know, that paints, that their objective has always been, I, I, I want a gallery, you know, and people buy my paintings. I've never met an artist that, uh, um, that's gone, I want to be the next Van Gogh. You know, and and uh, and I've I've never they, they just want a gallery to show their work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Musicians, I've met thousands that go. I want everyone to look at me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they're different. <clears throat> sorry, they're different people. They 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 want different things. Most artists, uh, their their objective has always been people buying their work so they can just continue on painting. I've never, I've never met a musician. Well, I have met musicians that w want to um, just be a working musician, but in in the younger lot, not so many. But I bet a lot of painters that that want to go. No, I just want to just paint all the time hmm. and sit in my house and paint, and people buy them and look at them. Yeah, yeah. they're quite different sorts of people. Well. You're right. There, there, there is, though, there are artists who will create and they're, you know, that's where they still do. There, there is a home, there is a garage yeah. where they're making their sculptures or they're doing their paintings. Yeah. And some will, yes, just try and sell it online um, or try, you know, get, get it bought by um, certain organisations or however they do it. But then some will technically go into the performance realm and set up a gallery, mm. still for the purpose of selling paintings. I don't think they're too much different to a musician. It's like, that, mm. Again, it's the B point. You is it like writers as well? If you're a writer, you just want your first book published, yeah? Is that the objective? That just It's, it's in the sure. shops. Sure, but I also know of people who want to write who don't have an intention of getting published. They just want to write because they're retired. Mm. And they just want it. It's been their dream to write a book, mm. and that's it. And that's where it will start, and that's where it will end. That's their A and B point. They just they just want those those simple things. So it, it, it's never gonna it's never gonna change. Now, how they do that is okay. You know, this the writing one is it's fantastic because if you look at the writing one as being very similar skills in regards to songwriting or writing music, mm. your A points are going to be again different from each person. It says I want to learn how to write a book. Going into our default writing course. You know, to, to write a book again can be fl potentially flawed with issues for the person that just wants to write a book when they retire, with no intention of it being published. And I, and it's again it, it, that people who might be published or sell those writing courses be like, why don't you want to be published? It'd be the same with music courses and people who think everybody wants to be a famous musician if you do a music course. Mm. I strongly believe no, it's not about any of those things. It's like it? academia as well, though, that you always want the bigger academics I've met. It's about getting getting that paper published. Get, getting the paper published. Getting the paper and it's sitting there. You've got your PhD, like you do you've your, done it. You do your degree. So when are you doing your master's? You know. You do your master's and they say, when are you doing your PhD? You know, there's an end goal, there's an end objective, but it seems with music in the creative arts industry seems to be there's just this kind of third bit, which is like, Oh, and you're going to go to the Oscars after party and have a drink with Lady Gaga. <laughs> and lots of people are going to scream at you. 
Yeah, it's yeah. like within, within that realm of creative arts, music's the only one, and especially in today's you know kind of times and genre and the way we consume media and listen to media. Um, and even when I grew up, like the guy that's on the stage and getting things chucked at them and, and all the girls and all the stuff seems to be kind of, um, it, 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 if you look at it within all the other creative arts um, um, individual industries, it's that little cog which is a little bit different. Yeah. And we've really veered away from garage garage uh, garage bands. Well, we're still we're still talking about learning and we're still talking about the garage in, in where you make your craft, yeah. where you explore your ideas, where you learn to be better. So some would just say where you develop your skills, mm. where you get more experience as as another say. It's it's all learning. It's it's all an environment in which you to go, hey, that didn't work or that did work. If it didn't work, you know, what what can I make better next time? If it did work, equally break it down. So what that was really cool. What what did I actually do there? You know, this, it, we seem mm. to kind of always just reflect on things that didn't work. Mm. We go, well, that was a win, so we move on. It's like, no, 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 We need to dissect mm. the wins. And, and in that garage environment, you know, you may bring it just full circle again um, before we wrap up, is coming back into the garage after that gig. And <laughs> it's all coming back to me now. That, oh. that feeling of whether it was a good gig or a bad gig. Yeah. It was a bad gig, everybody's just down. Everyone's sad. <laughs> you know, it, it didn't feel good. And and you're constantly trying to go, okay, so what kind of happened there? Like, I don't know, I couldn't hear, you know, was it the fallback wasn't, you know, maybe we should have spoke to the, enge- the sound engineer a little bit more. Yeah. You reflect and you're learning. That's, that's what's so crucial about that environment. You know, compared to coming back the next week and it was a great gig, equally, having, oh, that was so cool. I love how you did that, you did that. Right. It doesn't, it doesn't go away because it was a great, great gig. It's still understanding that we're going to learn from this. We don't kind of get out the whiteboard. It's the culture of yeah. garage bands. Yeah. It's the culture of garage music or, or home music, home studio. Um, it, it should be a natural process. I don't think you can force it. You know, you can't just go, okay, for reflection time, everybody get their notepad. Um, you have to, you, you, you're hoping that you can, you can do that naturally. But, um, so in conclusion, essentially, the garage band or the home studio or, or the uh, you know kind of uh, the environment and collaboration process is more of a learning tool than traditional education methods. Learning tool, skill development, personal development. You know, it's it's a great great space to make music. Fantastic. Cool. All right. Thanks, guys. So check it um, to episode three, coming next week. Yes. Always subscribe. Subscribe, comment. Engage. Engage. Let us know who you want yes. for guests, because we've got some special guests coming up, some Australian artists. Which we're going to keep secret. Professionals. Educators. Educators, learners. Academics. etc. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Cheers. For more information on River Road and its courses, go to riverroad.edu.au